Do you know what the top Halloween costumes are for this year? Here are the top ones, according to an article I found. The contestants and guards from the Squid Game. Cruella from the Cruella DeVille movie. I, I like that. That's a good one. Here's one that I think you really like. Ted Lasso. Now we're getting somewhere. I could shave off and just have the mustache. Reed, I was thinking, though, if you're going to dress up like anyone from Ted Lasso, you should dress up as Coach Beard. Yeah, I'd like that. Also works well with my personality, not having to say a lot. Good thing you are a host of a podcast. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 245. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I'm just sitting over here and emulating my uh, own Ted Lasso outfit. Who do you think I'm going to be dressing up as from Ted Lasso? Ooh, from Ted Lasso. Uh, Jamie Tart. Yeah, I have to get the little hairband for Jamie Tart, don't I? That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good times. Good times. Well, I may sound a little bit different. Hopefully I sound okay. I'm actually recording this while my kids are on fall break. Uh, and so we are, we are out, of, uh, out of town. Record this and go get back to, uh, I don't know what, a little family, a little pitch and catch with the football or something. So anyway. What a commitment to our show. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, speaking of our show, Touchpoint, uh, we are a member of the Touchpoint Media Network. You can find out more about our show, this episode, and Touchpoint as a whole, the network that is, over at touchpoint.health. Encourage you to go check out the website, uh, roam around, see what else you can find, and maybe dig into a lot of great content there. While you're there, you'll notice up at the top in the navigation something called the TPS Report. TPS Report is a weekly email that comes out five articles to start your week, and uh, those uh, are aggregated by our show host. Occasionally, we skip a week, or maybe it's delayed to Tuesday, depending on if it's a holiday. But Nonetheless, we won't do anything with your email address other than send you one email a week or maybe somewhere around 50 emails a year, something like that. I'd love for you to sign up for that just to, uh, to stay connected. So uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's, let's pause here for just a second, and then we'll be back with uh, today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
Today, Reed, we're going to be talking about something a little bit specific, a specific task or a specific action. You know, we talk a lot about marketing, you know, having a measurable call to action, for example, that that's really important, certainly. Not that there's not a place for brand campaigns and things like that, but we talk about calls to action a lot and what we want people to do with that ad or that piece of content or something like that. And probably the most succinct and shortest path, if you will, to having someone be acquired as a patient or re-engaged or or what have you, it's having them actually select a physician or clinician, maybe even. I know that in multiple health systems, when we measure that specific task on our websites and web properties, that's a huge task. It's like one third of website searches typically are related to either finding a doctor or a location because they're on their way to care, right? We call that a super task, if you will. And the other two-thirds of visits are careers. And that pretty much wraps up your web presence online. (laughs) I would probably say, to be fair, and again, I'm just making up numbers here, but if a third are people picking, you know, looking for locations or doctors, I bet another third really is careers, right? Yeah, yeah. And so then the other third is scattered around based on advertising campaigns we're doing or maybe news or you know, media type stuff and things like that. For majority of hospitals, I'm not talking about folks like Mayo or Cleveland Clinic, maybe that have tons of educational content, but just for your regional or community health system, I would say that's probably a fair way to bucket it. I'd be curious. I'd love to hear from folks uh, on kind of how their website traffic breaks down. But you know, finding a physician certainly is one of, if not one of the most primary and focused calls to actions that we have. But here we're going to be talking about a little bit more than just finding a physician. It's That's going right. to be about not only finding it, but then how do they best, you know, best practices around selection and even post making that appointment, like what happens after that? Because I think all of those are important. There's a lot of research out there. In fact, you and I just conducted some independent research, you know, individually uh, around this very yep. task. So we have some good insights around this. In addition, Reed, we're going to have later on in the show, a person that's been on before, Martha Van Berkel, who's the CEO of schema.app. If you really boil this back, it's about what the consumer is looking for and the expectations they have, right? So again, there is the actual, yes, there's a tool on your website that displays a bunch of people's headshots and their names next to it and that kind of thing. But I think the question that we're really kind of digging into, and, and just coincidentally, we both happen to be doing some research around at the same time, was, you know, what are people looking for? Like, what are they expecting to find when they get there? What are those most important attributes, if you will? And so we'll, we'll dig into that. But I know, Chris, and I think this is a great place to start. You know, you've kind of boiled this down a little bit into the, you know, around the idea of the consumer journey as it relates to this, really into four main buckets, right? It's highly simplified approach, but yeah, if you think about it, the first action that typically people take is they start to search. By the way, it doesn't usually happen on your website. It happens in Google and other places too, mm-hmm. right? Third-party mm-hmm. sites and stuff like that. Yep. Then, then there's the selection phase where they go through. This is where they get into your find a doctor directory and they start to you know see what all the options are and make selections. There's some good stuff there that we could talk about. 
Then there's the scheduling. And this is where it kind of transcends from your online directories to how do they schedule? What's what's the timing right. that they're looking for? What's the availability? And what are the different modalities like telehealth and things like that? And then lastly, after they make that appointment, what happens between then and when they actually show up for that in-person care or even for that virtual care? And we call that the get care phase. That's a very simplified way to look at the journey, but I think it kind of makes sense. Certainly there's stages or phases within phases and all that kind of stuff, but Again, it's a it's a podcast. You know, we're trying to we're trying to kind of break this down in some some broad buckets. Well, let, let's start with search, right? Like yeah. you said, this is this is where people uh, this is where people start. They're looking initially, and we'll get to the scheduling part later. But initially, they're looking for care options, right? And I say care options because yes, it could be a doctor, it could be urgent care, more of a location based search, but they're looking for care. And some of that, you know, varies, obviously, based on the severity. You know, is, is it something like my kid just broke their arm, right? And now I'm fi- trying to figure out where to go and it's Saturday evening. Or is it I'm new to Nashville and I need to find a new primary care physician and do an annual well check, right? It's not, it's not as timely, you know, kind of a thing. Or I have been referred somewhere by another physician and maybe I want a second opinion or there's all various reasons why, you know, you start that search process, right? Yeah. And increasingly people are using search engines to do that because, you know, they find that Google will provide them multiple answers if they type in that doctor's name or that clinic name or whatever it might be. Or if they start doing the searches, as we've talked about before, the near me searches, you know, the the urgent care near me, those sorts of things. So search engines tend to be one place where they go. Another place they tend to go to are the third-party sites, um, typically through your insurance companies, your insurance providers, uh, because they want to make sure they're selecting doctors that are covered, right, by their insurance. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, you know, they do come to your site as well, you being the hospital or health system site to do those sorts of searches. So we have a couple of uh, interesting articles that kind of dive into it. And the first one is actually from a friend of the show, Carrie Lichen from Yext. She created a very good resource called The New Patient Journey from Searches to Answers. Carrie is a great friend of the show. And oddly, I was emailing with her in the last week or so. Uh, <laughs> But what she's really talking about in this, and, we, and again, we'll link to all this, this fun stuff like we normally do, that patients are increasingly relying on search to guide them to the right provider. You know, the idea that we need to make sure that that information is accurate is becoming more and more important and not just accurate on our own site, but even third-party sites like the insurance providers and stuff like that, which we won't go too far down that path. But understand that people find information about your physicians in a variety of ways like, you, like uh, Chris mentioned a minute ago. They're looking for a lot of different things, right? These could be searches like best orthopedic surgeon near me mm-hmm. or a knee surgeon near me that is uh, rated four stars and accepts my insurance. Or where does this doctor operate on Tuesdays? Or, you know, the, the questions that are associated with these searches can be broad and vast. And and that's the important thing here is for us to understand that those differences about what they're looking for and how do we cross-reference that within the hyper-local kind of digital stuff that we do mm-hmm. and and develop a strategy that's going to ma- make it easier for them when they come to your website to easily access that care. Or 
in the case of if you do if you're doing this the right way, you can even aggregate some of these to use some of your claimed Google My Business listings and other third party sites. You have a, a number of nuances here, like you just mentioned, but then there's also some states like Texas, for example, that don't employ physicians. So these doctors are potentially listed on a number of healthcare systems websites. You know, take into account what's going to work in search, trying to get your URL for that doctor to the top of that search page if someone keys in that information is an ever-evolving task. Yeah, this is a great resource. We encourage you, we'll put a link in the show notes, you can go download it because it even gives you some of the, the, the thoughts around how to structure your data the right way, which we'll talk about later in the show, but also utilizing the, the answers engine from Google which I'm starting to see more and more people using where they're asking questions. There's a second article, though, Reed, that I thought would be important for this conversation, which I found on Search Engine Journal called Seven Local Search Tips for Health Providers to Take Care of Patients. There's a couple of things that I think would be important for us to kind of highlight. The first one really being about you know, understanding what those patient segments are. You know, The broad idea here is that there's various reasons people are searching. You know, And I talked about like, you know, brick and mortar locations versus doctors and you know that kind of thing. But specifically, as, it, as we think about physicians, these patient segments are really going to dictate, and you think about the acuity level, right? If, you, if you're, again, if you're moving to a new town and you're looking for a primary care physician, um, yeah, you'll probably ask around a little bit, you know, but you can probably figure that one out on your own and maybe a little trial and error even potentially, you know, that kind of thing. As the acuity goes up, maybe then it's like around, you know, referrals, right? As you get into specialists, subspecialists, things like that, or chronic illness or something like that, there's going to be more points of influence. They actually refer to it and they have a nice graph in their article here where they have people that seek expertise as opposed to those that are self-reliant. So that's mm-hmm. kind of one way to understand that. But another way they, they talk about is like drivers of care. They say here that proactive patients are often motivated by maintaining their health status quo, like through routine testing, yearly physicals, consulting with a nutritionist. There's others that are more reactive patients, and they experience triggers or a change in health status before seeking out care. So think about that. Proactive patients could be people looking for primary care, pediatric care, or even, you know, like sports medicine. Whereas reactive patients are those that are, oh my gosh, I just got diagnosed with this and I've been told to go seek a specialist. Hmm. Now they're in a different mindset. Think about the different types of questions that people ask across that whole spectrum. That kind of informs how you can start to structure the SEO and all the things that you need to make that selection that much easier. Well, the next thing uh, I think to call out here out of these seven tips is is looking at those like kind of search best practices, right? So you think about keywords and other metadata that potentially tie into these searches that that uh, patients or potential patients are, are, are doing, right? So you think about things like locations, conditions, that kind of stuff. Ratings and reviews have shown to influence, you know, to some degree from a feature set standpoint influence search rankings and things like that. So again, much like you would your content on the website, 
looking at this and through the same lens of, you know, what are some of those kind of search best practices that we can, we can mesh into here. You know, as you start to think about the requirements needed for these phases, we, we shared a number of them. Others that you want to think about is like your hours of availability is a big thing here too, right? Making sure that if you have weekend or after hour appointments or even telemedicine, I think that becomes important. The modality kind of helps with the search here. What are some other things that spring to mind on your end? I think there's the proximity piece that's a big deal, especially with the near me stuff and things like that. I think video or kind of the multimedia piece of the, uh, you know, kind of the physician bio page, if you will, philosophy of care, things like that, I think kind of, kind of weighed into the metadata side of the equation uh, as you think about search specifically. Well, there is a lot to this, and obviously, this we're just trying to hit the high points here in this podcast. Let's take a break here, Reed. When we come back, we'll kind of go through the other three phases, select, schedule, and then get care. We'll do that right after this brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so we talked a little bit about how uh, folks may search. Let's uh, kind of start making our way through these other um, three phases. The next one is selection. You, know, you, you have found a person or a group of people that you potentially want to go see for care. So what makes you then kind of actually select? And I, I would say this is probably where the majority of you know, the research that you and I both have done, but kind of where I've been looking is, well, what, what do people really care about? Like, what are they looking for uh, when they're looking for a physician? What do they filter on? What are they, what are those specific things? There's really two distinct efforts going along in the selection phase. First, they have to determine whether the physician is a viable option. So part of that is like they search for things like, do they accept my insurance? I think that is like, if you don't answer that question, then they're not even going to continue to search for you. Or are they the right specialist for me? Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that the specialist is right. Oh, here's another one that's kind of like important to qualify them. Do they accept new patients? (laughs) You know, yeah. I mean, those are things that you just kind of have to pass before you even start that selection part. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a ton of studies out there and we can link to some of them. But everything I looked at, insurance continued to come up first, right? Like, do they take my insurance? What was interesting about that and even some surveying that we did of consumers that came up first. And so it started kind of dawn on me a little bit that there are certain things that there is no preference around. It either is or isn't. Like it's a go or no go, right? So they take my insurance. They don't take my insurance. They are accepting new patients. They aren't accepting new patients. Like there's no preference around that. It's really interesting to me that we have a couple of qualifiers and then you get to the preferential stuff. That's this uh, this stuff that we can start to surface. If you don't have insurance or accepting new patients, it's going to be really hard for them to make that decision right on your website. However, 
let's also say that when we get into the secondary criteria, one thing that plays a really strong role here is convenience. Wouldn't you agree? It's totally about convenience. Again, once you get past what what we've kind of are calling you just called the qualifying kind of questions, there is it the right type of physician? Do they take my insurance? And you know, are they are they can I actually go see them? Are they accessible? Yes. Then you get into the preference stuff, and from what we found, you and I both is pretty heavily weighted around convenience, right? Like how close are they physically to where I currently live or stand or work or whatever. And we're starting to see more and more from a convenience standpoint around the virtual care options. Do they have a telehealth or virtual care option or do I have to physically go see them? Another thing too, when you talk about convenience is how easy is it to make an appointment with them? If they have to call a phone number and then that phone number, you're in a call tree that, you know, you have to select multiple buttons and then finally you get to someone, you know, that may or may not have direct access to their calendar. The more friction you put in that part of it, you lose it, right? So think about that also from a convenience perspective. But then let's get into, read some of the things that are like, what are those other things? Typically things that we find like in the, in the find a doctor search filters, Yeah, I think the types of patients they see, and what I don't mean is like what they do as a specialty. What I mean is, do they see minors? Do they see senior adults? What about LGBTQ? You know, that kind of like the type, you know. So again, a preference, you know, a way to filter around, you know, I'm looking for like maybe I'm a caretaker for my parents. And so they may not specifically be a geriatrician or something like that. But like, I need to know, like, of you know, maybe there's other providers that are primary care, general, or family physicians that that do see an elderly population, or maybe even specialize in it. But it's not their specialty. One thing that I also found, it depends. But in my market, where I work with my health system, they're also starting to ask questions about the age of the f- provider. Yeah. Right. So there's a sort of a preference. Younger younger families tend to prefer to have a younger yep. physician helping them or attending to them. Again, this is for more primary care kind of world, right? When you get into like the cancer, I don't think age becomes that much. It's more of now we're lender, now, now we're leaning towards more towards expertise. It, it is. And I think too, you know, I think there's something to be said, not only for the age, but the gender of the physician, right? Like maybe I would rather go see another male physician for just my general wellness and, and annual checkups and things like that. Or maybe my wife would rather have a female OB-GYN. Certainly language spoken, Um, you know, we get in different parts of the country. I can think about El Paso, for example, where some of my clients are. Certainly there's a very high Spanish speaking population and they would rather have a physician that also speaks Spanish. So I, I think those are, those are interesting filters as well. Yeah, one more to throw in there, obviously, is also ethnicity. I think Mm -hmm. that what we're seeing is that more and more communities are looking for providers to serve their community that look like them and actually are in their community, right? That's part of the selection phase. Now, this moves really quickly into the third phase, which is scheduling, right? Because once you find that doctor, then you have to schedule it. This is where it gets really interesting. And this is where you have, start to have conversations with, you know, the physicians about what's their calendar availability and, you know, how much of their calendar is dedicated to telehealth and things like that. Yeah, it is. And I think that was what was interesting with some of the research. And you probably saw this as well that, that I did and, you know, surveyed and folks. It was, yes, like I would like to know when I'm looking at this physician 
search result on your website of the doctors that I've filtered by, like we just talked about, yes, I need to know which ones are taking new patients. But also, I'd like to know how quickly I can get in. So again, that accessibility piece moves past just the idea of of the yes or no. Are they or are they not taking new patients? But how quickly can I get in? You know, it's interesting. There was a study that was done by Athena Health from a few years ago, prior to the pandemic, but it really brought to light some of this thing. And the article that we're going to reference here in the show notes is called, The Doctor Will See You Sometime. (laughs) Yeah. What they found is in the study, and it was a large study, they found that 10% of new patients nationwide are seen on the same day. 60% are scheduled within two weeks, and 20% wait more than four weeks for their first appointment. Wow. Interesting, huh? Yeah, it really is interesting. And they drill in a little bit further, uh, kind of a note here to give that a little bit of context. You know, of all those providers that they looked at, the orthopedic patients were seen the fastest with an average appointment lead time of 13 days. Wow. With the ones on the other end of the spectrum, OBGYN patients, they can wait almost 24 days on average, two days longer than those scheduling primary care visits, by the way, and about a week longer than pediatric patients. Yep. And the wait times for first appointments are likely to be longer for in-demand specialties too, like otolaryngology, urology, nephrology, pulmonology, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, that kind of makes sense as we started talking about before, that if you're looking for kind of a low acuity and you have multiple options, telehealth, urgent care, or primary care, you might select the most convenient, quickest one to get there, right? But then when you start to get to some of the more complex care, you might wait in order to see the right physician or the right specialist. A lot of this, I I get it. Like you call the pediatrician and your kid's sick, they can get you in. But if you call and it's like, hey, I need to to do a well check visit for my two-year-old, well, it's probably going to be a minute. Right. Like, I mean, so, I mean, I understand, but it's an interesting road to navigate, I guess. And it's a hard one to navigate when you're dealing with physicians who are not used to having, you know, a lot of flexibility in their calendars and their schedules, they want to make sure their panels are reserved to kind of come to them and say, look, consumer expectations are this, and we need to reserve blocks of your calendar in order to support sort of these more consumer driven choices. That becomes an interesting conversation. And one where if you do it right, you could start to map out and measure how effective these these things are, right? Well, and and even just like efficiency experts could get involved in this, right? Where it's like, hey, we need to free up some of your calendar. So what we're going to do is these types of appointments you're only going to see virtually. If I'm just coming in for you to look at me and then discharge me from care and like I'm fine, like can't we just do that over the phone? Like can't you just ask me a few questions and go, okay, cool. Well, let us know if anything comes. Why do I got to come in? Why do I got to drive there, take up time on your schedule, sit in the waiting room around a bunch of sick people uh, for you to look at me for two or three minutes and go, well, cool. I'm glad, I'm glad your, your surgery worked out fine. And uh, you know, just let's, let's touch base again in six months. And it's like, okay, well this could have been handled with an email, you know, kind of a thing, (laughs) you know what I mean? So I think there's a play for efficiency here that potentially reworks a lot of this. And I think it's just going to take people thinking about, well, what, you know, what care models really make sense now, not just keep doing them the same way, you know, that they've been doing them. 
Let's also very briefly touch about that fourth phase, right? The phase of after they actually make that appointment. Uh I think as we think about consumerism entering into the space, one thing we're finding here is that that same convenience and ease plays a role here after they get care. So first of all, one, one thing to make sure, right, is that you want to have automated appointment reminders after you make that appointment. You actually want to ask them too, what's their preference? Would you like to get them via email or text message? This will help with that retention rate, right? To retain appointment revenue, to make sure they're on track with care. You know, these are some simple things you can do automatically within your appointment scheduling system, making sure that their cancellation rates are the lowest possible. There's some other things too that uh, we found. Yeah, like according to uh, Doc ASAP, uh, over 50% of patients prefer the digital tools over the phone. Uh, for appointment reminders, post-care communications, things like that. So making it easy for people to connect with us, almost like in this self-service way, you know, that that's what people are used to, apps and scheduling and doing those, you know, that's just where people would rather be. Now, again, not all people, some of this depends on the type of patient, the type of physician, the type of care and, you know, uh, patients that they're seeing. But again, you know, people are much more apt to use these digital tools, especially the digital natives, if you will. Yeah, I think also, too, of all those forms that you have to fill out when you're at the doctors in the waiting room and uh-huh. things like that, the effort to try to eliminate wait room time can go here as well, right? If they say, I prefer email or a text message, and they give you permission to communicate with them, give them the opportunity to go fill out their forms online before they show up. And by the way, if they don't want to do it online, it wouldn't be bad for you to actually maybe work with your access center to have them do the proactive outreach over the phone prior to them showing up, or even the office manager, and getting those forms filled out over the phone for those you know, less than 50% of people that still like to talk to people. Do not have them fill out stuff and then have them fill out again in person, however. Yes, very important. Uh, That happens a (laughs) lot. I still don't understand it exactly, but that happens a lot and it's not a satisfier. But again, in here also, um, 57% of patients who missed an appointment said that a text message or an email reminder would have helped. I think some of this stuff, and I'm thinking like well check visits and stuff like that, stuff you would schedule pretty far out, you might forget. You know, like, oh, I need to remember to put that on my calendar, but it's I'm I'm in the car and I'm talking hands-free right now. I'll add it to my calendar later, or whatever whatever the scenario is and you forget. We kind of very high level glossed over this very complicated uh, journey of, of patients and potential patients coming through your organization. But I think it's important to kind of think about it this way and start to figure out where your opportunities are in your health system that you can start to improve the overall experience. And it, it might be any one of these four segments that we, we kind of addressed. It's probably time to shift our interview. And I think this will kind of give us some great ways to think about what this really could be for our organizations. Yeah. So um, Martha Van Berkel, who's been on the show before, and by the way, she and I were supposed to be presenting at the, uh, this year's HMPSS, uh, Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategy Summit. We're unfortunately, we're unable, we're unable to do it this year, but we're going to be there next year, which is going to be next May. So make sure to show up. She and I had a chance to sit down and talk about how can we start to use some of the great schema and SEO techniques that Google's introducing to make your physician profile show up that much more robustly in search and start to help maybe automate some of the things that we just talked about. So after the break, we'll have that conversation with Martha, and then you and I will be back to wrap up the show. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am really excited to have back on the show one of our most popular guests in the past year. That is Martha Van Berkel. Martha, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks for uh, dialing in today all the way from up north there in Canada. Martha, I know you were on the show before. And um, and as I mentioned, a lot of people really liked the interview we had before. But there are some people listening in that may not know you and your background. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Martha Van Burkle, and I'm the co-founder and CEO at Schema App. And Schema App is a software as a service that specializes in a very niche area of SEO called structured data. And when you use structured data, you can stand out in search. And what we're going to dig into that, um, I do come from the enterprise world. I spent 14 years at Cisco, um, and I have a technical background. I, I studied engineering and strategy at MIT. So happy to talk about a whole broad range of things, uh, go deep as well sort of talk about the business impact. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. And in part, this conversation we're going to have was a little bit of what we were going to cover at the conference that we ended up uh, not being able to go to just recently, but we're definitely going to be doing that in the future. So for those of you listening in today, if you want to hear more from us, know that in the near future, we're going to be at a healthcare conference near you, right, Martha? Absolutely. All right. So Reed and I today have been talking about selecting a doctor online. And we kind of, you know, went through sort of the high level journeys that customers take. And we kind of went into some of the different things that happens at each stage of the journey. One of the first stages of that was around searching. And that is becoming so ever important for people that are out there nowadays looking for care online. Search has become sort of the first thing that they do. It's sort of where we we all start our journey, whether you're, um, you know, you're looking for something for your business or even something for for your home or for your family. Um, I think, you know, my kids before the age of four could say like, let's search it up on Google, right? Or let's Google it. And, And so how we sort of think about that beginning of the journey and how you can actually, I'll say, say manipulate or take control of how it's it shows up to really delight your customers, meet them where they're at, is underutilized today in a great way to to differentiate yourself sort of and and really sort of wow people, right? And 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 I, the reason I use delight is I I really think it's like there's enough stress of like trying to get answers to the things we need, right? You know, how long do I have to cook this chicken for? And what time does the the supermarket close? But, you know, when you're, especially talking about healthcare, like the urgency to get answered and delighted is even, I would say like even more there. Yeah, the stakes are much higher. And we have sort of the traditional way that we approach access to care um, as being very, very difficult. I don't know if that's deliberate or not, but that's something that the healthcare industry has certainly done, has not made it easier, right, on people. So that's why people tend naturally to gravitate towards search. I know we've all become avid uh, Google search 
uh, uh, denizens, right? And, the, yes. and now we know how to do all the different types of searches. We know we could add additional words and all that other thing. But I really want to get into how search is is critically important for when you start to find like a doctor online. When I say that, how do you react to that, Martha, being an expert in this space? So there's two things that come to mind. So one is the big shift from strings to things. Ooh. Let me just break that down. So, um, and, and this isn't new. This is, I don't know, what year are we in? 21. Like, you know, this has probably been, you know, like where, you know, Google talked about their switch to the knowledge graph and movement. So I'm thinking like 2015 is when this first came up. And and the idea is strings are like when we used to think about keywords, right? Or we used to think about phrases. And, and so when you say, we're like, oh, we have to optimize for certain keywords and phrases. And so that's a string, right? Like a string of characters. The evolution to things is where we're starting to think about entities. And and we're specifically thinking about entities in like these things. So when you think about your organization, you know, what are the things you're going to talk about? So we're talking about physicians specifically, right? So, you know, the physician is an entity and, you know, it has, you know, properties about it, right? So it has a specialty, it has, you know, you know, where it went to university or did residency. Oh, wait a second. That university is also an entity, right? It's another thing, right? And then they practice at a specific clinic or a hospital location. Okay. That's another entity and thing. And it can be described in lots of different ways. And so the big evolution that Google's gone through, you know, over, I think I said the last six, seven years, is that like, they want to understand the things they want to understand these different entities. And so when we think specifically about a doctor, you know, what are all the different ways we want to explain them? And then more importantly, then if we think about the user journey and how they want to interact with that information as they go through their selection criteria, then, you know, that's where sort of these things come together. That's interesting. That's a that's a great way to kind of phrase that. Strings to things are really the entities. And when you think about this, we're talking about a very structured data set now that kind of um, on the back end, uh, you know, could get very technical really quick. Yes, that's my favorite part. <laughs> well, and, and and like let's let's define structured data because if there's people in sort of the technology world, they're like, well, um, you know, a table is 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 structured data, right? So um, structured data is a table, but it's also in in the context of SEO, it's also sort of the 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 application of a standard vocabulary called schema.org. And so schema.org is the vocabulary that describes lots of different things, including physicians, hospitals articles, um, services, you name it. It actually was defined by Google, Yahoo, Bing, and Yandex way back in 2011. And then they keep adding to it. And actually, one of the most exciting things over the last year is that like that, we've had 16 releases of schema.org in the last year. And prior to that, over seven years, there was like 12 releases. So like we're really seeing an acceleration, especially in the healthcare space. And and so structured data in the SEO is this application or this translation into this vocabulary. And it allows you to describe these entities with a lot of specificity. Now, specificity was the second thing that came to mind at the beginning of this, Chris, when you talked about it, because this is like the other, I'll say, big evolution I'm seeing from Google, which is you have to be like really specific, like to meet the user's query, right, which is Google's mission, the queries are very specific, right? And, and, and it, there's specificity with regards to the question, the region, right, the context, the person who's asking it, you know, like if I'm saying I want, I was thinking of a, a doctor of my gender, 
right? Like my gender, I wouldn't probably ask that question to Google just for, you know, clarity, but, <laughs> but like, but like, you know, like Google would have to know my gender in order to be able to ask that question to then give me a result that's relevant, right? So, but the reason it's also interesting is because like all of the things about a physician can be described in this vocabulary and what's, if it's done properly, which is like what we kind of like gets us up in the morning here at schema app is, is that you can also identify relationships. And so instead of it just being like, I'm writing about this physician, right. And it's just like the name of the physician and where they went. I'm also then associating it with like my hospital network or like the type of insurance it takes. Like all of those things become this connected web um, or a knowledge graph, which then is actually what Google's trying to piece together or crawl in order to get that specific answer to that very specific query. Yeah. So when you say knowledge graph, I, I think a lot of us know what that looks like, but that's sort of that that featured area, so to speak, where it has the physician's maybe name, uh, you know, a place on the map, the reviews, all that other stuff. But that doesn't just happen overnight, right? It isn't just that Google can go out there and intelligently crawl your website, or in many cases, your find a doctor directory to get this information. You sort of have to, through the schema language, the schema markup, Mm -hmm. um, tell Google, right, all of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. So the knowledge panel, which you're referring to, is 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 also informed by this. So so let's kind of go through the steps, right? Okay. So the, the first thing with structured data is you want to be able to kind of call out like, well, what is what is this thing, <laughs> right? Like to go back to the, the things and strings. And and so in this case, we're talking about like this is a, a physician and it has a, a you know, the page has a title tag and made a description, the page URL, the things you already have, right? But when you only don't do the structured data on that, you're just getting a boring blue link, right? Which isn't right. super engaging. It's not going to help you stand out. All those magical things that I said would help you sort of really delight your customer at that time of need. And and so it's really when you start doing that physician markup that you actually start connecting these dots. And I'll say like bringing light or like, you know, really standing out. And the physician schema markup is going to connect with that Google My Business. So when you talk about the web page and say it's this is a physician, and you, a physician is a type of local business in the schema markup vocabulary, you're able to then say that this is the same as what I've described on Google My Business. So now you've connected the entity on your website to the, con- to the entity that's already defined in Google My Business. Oh, okay. So now you've gone past just the simple standard result in the page of your physician's name, title, or, or whatever specialty and, and, and area. Now you've moved to something a little bit more robust because you've, you've basically uh, aligned through schema the doctor listing to a local business entity. And now Google treats it differently. Is that what you're saying? So it connects it, right? So remember I was talking about like Google's trying to answer the question with specificity. Yeah. And so now anything that you're going to define on that web page, it knows that this is also the answer. And so when we're thinking about Google trying to make a decision on like, what is the experience I need to give this searcher? It knows that like that web page or that Google knowledge panel on the right are the same thing. So I can show both of those and that's going to give an enhanced experience and understanding to my customer. Wow. Wow. Okay. This is just the basics, Chris. Like this isn't even the exciting stuff. Uh, Well, I mean, that in and of itself can be a a substantial lift to organizations if you think about that, right? Well, well, it's about sort of like these things not operating separately, right? Like the work you're doing in Google My Business around like making sure that information's accurate and up to date and has like good pictures. Like what we're seeing and like you're going to have to, you know, like as we're seeing these results evolve, we're seeing these things come together, right? So this is... 
this is what's exciting. And so the next stage is then like, ideally, you also have an aggregate rating. Now, a lot of health networks are competing against health grades and all these other sort of rating platforms, right? But the fact is, is like those ratings are usually on your site as well. And so how do you make sure that now just not the name of your physician showing up, but that beautiful rating, right, that you're paying all that money to that rating provider for, shows up in your search results, not someone else's, but yours, right? And so now, like, again, as you think about, like, you know, trying to expedite that booking flow and building trust as they start on that selection journey, that that user experience, you know, now you're bringing that information, like, does this person have a good rating, right? Like, they don't even have to ask it. Your hospital network, that physician's name, those ratings are right there. So that's interesting. Let me ask you a question about that. You might be creating uh, your own ratings by putting it onto your find a doctor through like some kind of application that you've built, right? Uh, but Google also has ratings that they they carry about you that may be sitting in the Google My Business against that physician. Can Schema help kind of navigate that as well? Well, the rule with ratings for local businesses is that you have to have curated them. So much as there's ones in Google My Business, it is less applicable these days. Now, what's interesting is that a physician's a type of local business, Martha, like you told us that five minutes ago. Health is different. So there's all kinds of fun things that are going on by Google for physicians that are different than everyone else's rules. They're not documented anywhere, Um, but this is fun, right? Because it means that you can leverage it to differentiate yourself. So it does need to be ratings that are on your page that you're either curating or that you're bringing in through um, through sort of a partner, but that they're that you sort of own them is is sort of the, the ruling. That's the assumption that many of us have taken. But now using schema, you can actually kind of force that hand through what shows up in the search results. Okay, but here's the super fun part. We've also seen on that knowledge panel, okay, you back with me? This is like where Google my business, where they'll have ratings and they'll have ratings from different sources. And the health network can be one of those sources. So after we've connected the dots between these things, we've also seen where the physician now all of a sudden, um, so Advent Health is who we saw it with, like they're listed, their rating is listed. And when you click on that rating off the knowledge panel, it actually takes you to the physician page on Advent Health. So all of a sudden now, again, it's a connected journey, right? So what we're trying to do with structured data is say like, hey, I'm like the house of all the real specific information about this physician. I'm going to connect to Google My Business, but we really want them to get onto that page so that they can book an appointment with you, right, through your your hospital network. So um, that's another way that we start seeing that connectedness. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. You've walked through a couple of stages here. Okay. So you start with the, just that simple name of the doctor, family, you know, like the, the specialty type, the, the area, simple result. Then if you associate through schema markup to a local business, suddenly you now can take advantages of the local knowledge panels and even the local, the, the knowledge graph, right. And, and the, my business, cause now you've connected them together. And, and then the third step is aggregating the rating onto that listing. Into the schema mark, into the structured data. Yep. Then we get to another stage. Okay. So the last piece, last layer of the cake that makes it amazing 
is when we can also add FAQ into this. So the reason an FAQ result is where below the listing, you get like additional sort of drop downs. So it looks a little bit like people um, also asked, but it's actually under your specific result. Um, and what's beautiful about FAQ is that it pretty much works on any type of page. So physicians are, are one great one, but it allows you to, if, if you're thinking through the questions that someone is trying to get answers to in consideration to book an appointment, you can bring those into the search result. And so it could be what areas do they serve? It could be um, what insurances do you accept? Uh, are they accepting new patients? Um, do they have that specialty? Do they do residency in this specific area? And so anything that's on that physician page that you think is absolutely critical in order for someone to understand and read, you can actually get that in the FAQ rich results so that they get that when they're first in Google. And then what's more beautiful is that you can put links in that so that if they read the drop down, they're like, yeah, that's totally what I want. Click to book, right? You can accelerate them through that journey. Wow. Okay. So now you've taken just one single entity and through schema, you've evolved it to, it's almost like its own mini physician profile on Google itself. Like you're, yeah. you're kind of aggregating all that great content that's on your find a doctor now to Google. So that makes it much easier for people to in, uh, explore that information then. Yeah, well, we want to delight them, right? Like, especially, you know, I was thinking about like last night, I'm Googling, does my daughter have appendicitis because she has pain around her belly button, right? And I'm reading all the pieces. I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, who can I call at this late hour of the night? And you're in a panic, right? Sometimes when you're looking for these or you're not in a good place. And so if you can bring that information together, and by the way, it also means they don't have to like find the right button on your website or like navigate through your menu, which be, not, might be foreign to them. You know, this allows you like, I'm searching for this specific thing. And because you've told Google through the schema.org vocabulary about their specialty, about what they do, Google can use that to make sure you're getting the match. And then you can really own that real estate and and bring all that information together. And what I, I loved what you said, like a mini find a doc kind of profile in the search results. And it's all done through structured data. Like you are eligible to get this experience. It's really, you know, do you have that information? Is it consistently structured? And then, you know, do you have structured data on there that, that allows you to do that? I tell you, the more we talk about structured data, Martha, the more I get so excited about this. And it it's something that a lot of people, outside of people like you and me, and maybe some IT people and database people, they don't really think about it. But structured data becomes like such an, a very important tool in your toolkit. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's about like, it's, you know, from a, a demand generation or marketing organization, like it's really about like controlling how you show up in that, like that first impression, right? And, you know, why wouldn't you take control of that? Like, why wouldn't you, you know, all the, the, um, the amount of time and money and effort you put in find a doc to make it, you know, help you drive appointments and help you drive people, you know, to your doctors, you know, this is to me like an important element for you to bring it right to that first click. I, I'm telling you that, you know, as we talk about the whole super task of finding and selecting a doctor online and making an appointment for them, the more you can bring this out to these various disparate sources, well, I wouldn't say disparate, but things outside of your website, 
right? You could aggregate them now to things that people use more often, like Google. And I, I assume that structured data does also help with other search engines, but let's just talk about Google, right? Because they pretty much own all of search now. They do. Yeah. Like we, we, Bing does use it a little bit, but I would say they lag sort of in, in sort of its use. And um, yeah, so for North America, like Google is like the primary piece and we're seeing a lot of investment in it, which, you know, good news for me, sort of, I bet my company on it, but it's, uh, you know, like it's not something that's gone away. It's something like they use a structured data, what's called a rich result. So these sort of decorated fancy results we keep talking about are called rich results. Um, they use to communicate COVID information like way back in April last year. So it is a tool that they use to get information to stand out for people to engage. And it's been very successful for for customers of ours across industries, especially in healthcare. And you've seen some really awesome results too, right? From doing this with some organizations. You know, and, and we work across the board. I, th- I think for like, I, I don't know if I told you this last time, Chris, like I wanted to be a doctor when I was little. Mm. And, and I always was like, oh, you know, should I become a doctor? You know, now I run a software company and it's like, you know, I feel like I still get to help in healthcare and be part of that healthcare journey by doing what we do. And, and the results we're seeing around like appointments booked or I'm um, just dri- driving like net new traffic or net new eyes into sites. Um, we you know, we really look at impressions and clicks and click through rate. And so looking at the differentiator and click through rate, when we start seeing these like massive results with sort of articulating the specificity and getting into some of the semantics of how we tie things together, the click through rate on those results are significantly higher than what we're seeing on ones without it. It's all measurable. So that's the other part that's super fun, right? So if you're looking to move the needle, it's something that both is visual. So for the executives who don't want to understand what an entity and structure data is, um, they can see the visual change and be proud of that and explain sort of how that's changing the journey. But you'll also see it in the data. Yeah, I like how you, in the blog post that um, we'll link to in the show notes that we're talking about here, uh, you have a line in here that says, schema markup is all about context and relevance. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, we as digital marketers always try to accomplish, right? Is that providing the right context and the right relevance. That's sort of the goal, the the noble purpose of what we're trying to Absolutely. Accomplish. And we're seeing Google continue to test here where like, one day we even saw like the face of the doctor show up in the search result, which like, again, it's in the structured data. We know what the image is, but like, this is an area we're seeing evolution in rapidly, um, especially in healthcare, which is, which is fun, right? Which it means that like, you need to be agile, you have a chance to lead, um, and you can really differentiate yourself in it. This is such great stuff. And there's some really great resources we're going to link to, but I know people listening and they may want to know a little bit more about you. What's a way for them to find you online? Sure. So if you want to know about structured data, and Schema App, you can go to www.schemaapp.com. We love talking strategy and exploring how we can help. So that sort of lives in my company as well as sort of how I talk. Um, and then you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Martha Van Burkle, or um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and we can chat there. Absolutely. Well, I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Martha, thanks for coming back today to talk about this. This is really cool stuff. I'm kind of excited about it. I hope people listening in are too. I think they will be. There's a whole world here ahead of us, right? That we can we could potentially go to. And it's it's just great to have people like you kind of keep an eye on that and making sure that we're focusing on the right things. Yeah, and this is the tip of the iceberg. As soon as you structure all your content, you can do other fun things with personalization and journey mapping and all kinds of other fun stuff. So that's for another conversation. Conversation, Chris. That's yeah. And I'll promise you that we'll pick that up at the next time you're on the show for sure. Martha, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me.
This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Special thanks to Martha for coming on the show. It's just fascinating to think about the nuances of search. This is maybe the best investment or time you can spend around that idea of search is around something like uh, finding physicians, right? Because that is such a good and strong call to action. So anyway, awesome to have her back on the show and uh, look forward to y'all's presentation next spring. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, let's do this. I'm a quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Sign up for the TPS report while you're there. Rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff wherever you happen to be listening or streaming to the show. We'd love to hear from you as well. Let's maybe do a couple of uh, recommendations before we close things up. Hey, Reed, I'm going to recommend uh, something that was recommended to me on Hulu. So it's a docu-series of some sort. It's uh, BuzzFeed's Unsolved True Crime. So what it is, and there's multiple seasons, I think they're now at season five or season six, two guys, two young guys, you know, maybe in their late twenties, early thirties, they do research on unsolved true crime. And then they put Mm. together a really quick, short 15 to 20 minute episode. So I found that to be an interesting length too, about various different types of crimes that have occurred that are unsolved. The great thing about this is, is that they kind of present the facts and the theories, right? They do a lot of online research, etc. But they also kind of have sub-threading it. So they're like kind of making fun of it along the way. And they're kind of making their inside jokes. And sometimes they actually go to the locations. It's really kind of entertaining. And it's something that's really an easy kind of watch. Jump in, jump out. You don't have to watch them in order. Some of the things that they've gone through are, you know, things that you and I have talked about before. The Gardner Museum heist. Yeah. They did that one. They did JFK assassination. They did Jack the Ripper. That was one of the episodes that they did. And then they get into some other ones like the axe murderer of Cleveland back in the 1920s. The Axeman, as he was called, and they they really like that name Axeman. They have a lot of fun with that. And like even not just murders, but disappearances, like what happened to these people? It's just really entertaining. It's very light, easy to watch. And you know, I know you like true crime. So if you if you ever want to, you know, pick up something for like 15 to 20 minutes and just watch something, that's my recommendation. BuzzFeed's Unsolved True Crime. I like it. You have to check those out for sure. I am also going to recommend a, uh, well, not true crime, I guess, but it is a docu-series. It's on HBO Max if, uh, if folks have that as a streaming service. Uh, it's a docu-series. It's three episodes, and it's called The Way Down, like W-A-Y, The Way Down. And it is about uh, Gwen Shamlin Laura's life, if you will. And so she is was this... Uh, religious leader. I don't, I don't really know what to kind of how to a pastor. I, I don't know what to call her. Uh, actually here in Nashville in Brentwood, she uh, had a congregation called the, um, uh, is it the uh, resident fellowship? And so what's interesting is it was built around a diet and uh, spoiler alert, it's basically a cult, but in any case, uh, 
<laughs> she died in a plane crash this past May. And it was during when they were making this documentary. So now there's going to be two more episodes that actually come out in 2022. It's a, it's a really wild story uh, about her, her life, and this uh, Remnant Fellowship is what it's called. The Remnant Fellowship Congregation. It, it's fascinating. I won't spoil it, but it is uh, bananas. And so for anybody that likes that kind of stuff, this kind of weird, strange world of kind of these alternate religions. And I don't know, it's just, it's such an interesting deal. And of course she was, uh, everybody knew who she was, you know, around, around Nashville, certainly. But uh, yeah, I would recommend it. It's called The Way Down. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to check that out for sure because I'm about to turn on my HBO well, very good. Uh, great episode. This is a really interesting topic. We may even dig further into this in a future episode, but uh, this is something certainly that is uh, really, really important to hospitals and healthcare systems. And so hopefully you liked it. Uh, let us know what you think. Reach out. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if there's other topics or experts we should have on the show. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a coworker, tell a neighbor, aunt, uncle, whoever. Uh, just tell somebody about the show. Uh, <laughs> But we really, really appreciate all the support. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.